Well, good morning, everybody. I'm glad that you've tuned in to join us for worship this morning, whether you're with roommates, family, friends, by yourself. We're so glad you're watching us. Hopefully most of you, again, are tuned in on a Sunday morning. We're filming this on Thursday evening, and I'm so glad to have people with me, like people, just in, just people, human beings, people with a, a vertebrae and a central nervous system. Just excited about that. But uh, the week after week of just looking into a camera has been a little di- bit difficult. We're doing that. We're committed to doing that as long as this takes. But it's good to have people, as we said, and not just people, special people in the room with me are Tyler and Caitlin Hendricks, Jonathan and Jenny Grantham, Matt and Lauren Thornton. And we've known each other guys for a long time, 12-ish 12-ish years, maybe 13, definitely uh, in that vicinity. And it's just good to have these guys. They are part of a group, a small group that helped us start Fondren Church. You guys give Susan and I way too much credit, but they're good people like this that jumped in early and they've been dear friends. They've made great sacrifice. They've led in our church, um, just super folks. And we've done a lot together, uh, had a lot of laughs. We've worshiped together. We have, um, fellas, we've caught things and captured things and killed things. Uh, Redfish in Venice, um, killed a, a few alligators. Uh, Tyler, I, I've got you on video, your voice anyway. We, we pulled an alligator in the boat and had a pistol behind us and ended up having to shoot it. But uh, we've, uh, fellas, you and the four of us and a couple other guys, we uh, stole an RV one night, a luxury RV. Uh, Justin, our friend Justin, and of course, God's worked in our life. He's forgiven us. We've forgiven ourselves and each other. That was a lot of fun. We, stole, we were camping, remember that? Stole an RV. We started camping, yeah. <laughs> Took a luxury RV. Uh, we had an engineer who knew how to start it, rode around town. We've had some good times. And you guys are real special friends. Uh, y'all do a lot of, of course, stuff without Susan and I, and that really hurts Susan's feelings. So I just want y'all to, y'all to know that. But uh, so much love for you guys and so grateful to have these guys around the table. Uh, they're joking that they're my audience, but they're going to participate with us uh, today in reading scripture, maybe have some thoughts of their own. But we're in a series, a lot of you know, y'all remember some of these sermons? I should put you on the spot. Let go of fear, let go of regret. Last week, let go of control. Y'all don't have any issues, do you? Control, regret, fear, no, yeah. Not, no, no relevancy in this, in these sermons. But t- today we're looking at, uh, letting go of hurry. And so I want us to kind of be committed to the value, the virtue of slow. Like a lot of times, I don't want to be slow. Slow doesn't seem like a virtue. I want to go fast. If there's an emergency, something that's urgent, if somebody's chasing me or anything, I, I want to go fast. I don't want to go slow. But slow, I want us to establish it as a virtue. There were some folks, some smart people, much smarter than me, that studied uh, the brain and how we work, working hard and playing hard. Do we really, uh, does the brain slow down? And there's a comparison, a contrast between slow and fast. And Lauren, I think you have that from the researchers. Just read to us what, what, what fast is and what slow is. Okay. Fast is busy, controlling, aggressive, hurried, analytical, stressed, superficial, impatient, active. It's quantity over quality. Slow is calm, careful, receptive, still, intuitive, unhurried, patient, reflective. It's quality over quantity. Mm. So now, what do you think? You, you want a little bit of slow in your life, right? Fast is not always a virtue. And what Lauren read there, I want to sign up for that. I want some of that reflection, some of the intuition, some of the just the calmness and coolness of, of life. And so what does slow mean? What does it mean? And how, how can we slow down our lives? You guys move at a pretty fast pace. When we first met, when I first met all of y'all, y'all were young and idealistic. You had no kids. And now we've got, we got Jefferson in the world. We got Josie Blue and Scout. We've got Annabelle and Colt and Eliza. And that's a lot. By the way, ladies, 
Happy Mother's Day, Caitlin and Lauren and, and uh, Jenny. Happy, happy Mother's Day to you guys. But life has not slowed down at all, has it? It's, it's going fast, and we need some slow. And here's what I want to challenge us in today. If we're going to let go of hurry, we're going to need a really big word. It's a big two-letter word. It's a huge word, and the word is no. You guys have little ones at home. That's a popular word when they're little bitty, right? No. Eat your vegetables, no. Clean your room, no. Share your toys. You see that day to day, but think of your lives uh, when you were little. All of us, when we were little, we loved the word no because the word no gave us some sense of control, probably the illusion of control, but no allowed us to establish a boundary. It gave us a little bit of importance and, uh, like I said, control. No, no, no. But then not long after, as we began living in the world, we realized that no disappoints a lot of people. We learned the opposite of that. When we say yes, people really start to like us. And after a while, we learned that when we say yes, it takes on enormous uh, complications in our lives. We say yes to bosses, to schedules, to meetings, to obligations. We say yes to buy things we don't need. We say yes uh, to impress people that we don't really like, that we barely know. And it, before you know it, we're in a world of hurt because of yes. And we get to a point in life where we're depleted, we're dehydrated, we're drained emotionally, spiritually, physically in every way because we haven't learned about this word no. So if we're going to say, uh, if we're going to be able to say, let go of hurry, we're going to be able to say no. Now, there are some uh, important no's in the Bible. I think of a man named Joseph, the Joseph of the old. Joseph had an opportunity to get into a very messy relationship, but he was able to say no. You know, the temptation's there for all of us. Somebody needs to hear this today, but one bad decision in a relationship can wreck a life. It could. And Joseph had that opportunity, but he said no. Three young guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, had an opportunity to worship an idol. You know, we have opportunities to worship idols as well. But they had the courage, the gumption, to be able to say no. One of my favorites, a man named Nehemiah. I love this story. It's just a lesson in leadership and progress. And Nehemiah, a great leader, he had a task. Uh, he was able to accomplish it in 52 days. Rome wasn't built in a day, but the walls of Jerusalem were rebuilt in 52 days, largely because of a man named Nehemiah. And I love this story because I, I deal with this as a pastor, as a, as a leader in many ways. But you're, you're, a part, you're a part of doing something. You want to accomplish something. You need to. You feel like God's fingerprints are on it, but people say, hey, I want to meet. Hey, I need you to do this. I, I need you. And Nehemiah reasonably said, no. All these people want to do is meet with him, but he said no. In fact, he said it four times. Tyler, you have that verse, Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 3 and 4. Yeah. And I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. Mm. So that's four no's. No, 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 no. They were saying, you know, these weren't necessarily evil people, but they wanted him to stop what he was doing. And life can be that way. When we rush so fast, we can't let go of our hurry. There's just a, a breakneck, breakneck pace to it all, and then we're stuck. We're in a place where it's yes, 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 and we think that we have to say yes to everything. And Nehemiah gives us a great leadership lesson in the ability to be able uh, to say no. Look, though, let's be, let's be positive. No, if, if you had a T-shirt or something that said no, a coffee mug, I'm not going to want to sit next to you. If you, said, if you had something that said yes, I'm going to want to be your friend. I'm going to invite you to the party, right? Yes is fun and sparkly. We put it on tote bags. 
But no is needed. No is important when we get drained and dehydrated. It's a scalpel, if you will, that does work on us deep down. The Bible is full of good no's. But before we go much deeper into that, let's consider the big yes. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20, Caitlin has that. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. Mm, love that. That's the heart of the gospel, that God has... Uh, listen to me this morning. God has a great yes for you. And the call of our lives is to live that back to Him, to give Him a yes with our lives, with our sacrifice, with our love, because He first, he first loved us. There's a great, a great yes in the Bible. The essence of the gospel message is yes, but there's necessary no's. We see it in Joseph. We see it in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We see it in a man named Nehemiah. And you know, we see it in Jesus. When Jesus began His ministry, now Jesus, that's what you read there, He's He's God, the Father's great yes to us. But he began, this is so interesting, he began his life with three great no's. And we see that in Luke chapter 4, in verse 3 through 13. Jonathan is going to read that for us before he does a little context. This is Jesus being, some versions say he was driven or led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Forty days of fasting. He had not eaten in forty days. And then this. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, command the stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And then he said to him, To you I will give this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. And He took Him to Jerusalem and set Him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to Him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you. And on, the ha on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus said to him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Mm. So what Jonathan read, what you looked at on the screen, three no's that Jesus gives. He's God's great yes, but he begins his ministry. So fascinating, begins his ministry with three no's. I want this morning to submit to you from the, the story that we read, three temptations that we face to let go of hurry, to be centered in the uh, life of the gospel, a life of knowing that we're loved. There's three temptations that we're going to face, and we see it in Luke chapter 4 when Jesus was tempted and offered these no's. The first temptation is that you are what you have. The world is going to tell you, as it did Jesus then, that you should live by bread alone. Now, when the Bible talks about bread. It's not talking about the stuff you make toast out of. It's talking about a symbolism for the acquisition of material goods. And we, we see in context of Jesus quoting from the Bible. Jesus quoted from the Bible when he was faced with temptation. If we're not fortified, somebody said, with good ideas, we're going to be victimized by bad ideas. And we see that in Jesus, him quoting the Word of God from Deuteronomy to combat temptation. Live by bread 
alone. And this was not bread bread. It was had something so much more to do with that. Now go back. Jesus quoted in Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy, as Jesus is quoting from the people of Israel. He's quoting Israel when they were in Egypt. And Egypt represented uh, something that, that speaks to us today. Egypt was not just a place, but it was an economy. It was a way of life. And here, the Israelites are back there. The Israelites they were building storehouses for grain that was, of course, used to make bread. Egypt represented this economy, this culture, this way of life. They were a culture that was reckless and greedy. And there were two uh, lies that the Israelites were tempted to believe. The first lie is that God's not going to provide for you. The second lie is that you can enslave and oppress people who don't have power just to give more power to the people who have the power already. This is what we need to hear in America today. It's what we need to hear in our world today. The heart of God is that we can trust Him. The heart of God is that we don't oppress other people and enslave them, that we point people to freedom. And that's not just spiritual freedom, it's economic freedom as well. The Egyptians, their culture, they were reckless and they were greedy. Hear this, it was a culture where they never stopped working, but nobody ever felt satisfied. Hear me one more time. It was a culture where no one stopped working. It was reckless and greedy and nobody stopped working and no one ever seemed satisfied. God brought the people, listen to this in 2020. God brought his people into the wilderness. God brought his people into the wilderness to teach them economic and spiritual lessons. What's life like in the wilderness? You don't need me to tell you this, but life in the wilderness back then and today, it's a place you don't want to be. It's a place that you're unsure of. It's a place that you don't know when it will end. And it's a place where you don't know if you can trust God. And God brought his people there. He led them there for great lessons. Some ancient rabbis had a saying. They would say that unless you, unless you, let me get this right. That they used to say this, that no one could receive the Torah unless they had received first the manna. The Torah is God's word. The manna is God's care, his love, his provision for them. It's true, isn't it, for us to know God spiritually uh, we've got to know Him economically. Uh, for us to serve Him spiritually, we have to serve Him economically. For us to trust Him spiritually, we have to trust Him economically that He's a provider. What a powerful word this can be for us today. But again, let's go back. If we're going to let go of hurry, we've got to learn to say no. There's three temptations that we see in Jesus in Luke 4. The first is that you are what you have. So guys, how do you combat this? You are what you have. What's the way? With each temptation this morning, I want to give you, as we give three temptations, I want to give you three practices. Here's the practice. Do without some stuff. Do without some stuff. If you're going to be able to say that life is more than bread alone, that I can trust God, that I can learn every economic and spiritual lesson, that I can help people be free economically, I can help people be free spiritually, um, if we're going to learn this ourselves and give it to others, then we're going to need to be at a place where we can intentionally, purposely do without stuff. The world's going to tell us that the universe is a machine, that we are a bundle of appetites, and that we should have no appetite that we don't seek to, to, to satisfy. Now, is that what Jesus teaches? Jesus, on the contrary, says that we're a, a ceaseless spiritual being. That life is not about just the bundle of appetites that you are. In fact, He comes to set us free from that. When we're a captive to just meeting our needs and following after our desires and wants, whatever they may be, He has come to set us free from that. There is a spiritual practice 
Uh, I'm introducing it now because I want to get past your defenses. Uh, first, I want to tell you the practices do without some stuff. But the Bible has a word for that. It's called fast. It's called fast. So what is a fast? Let me give you a definition. A, a definition of fast, you may want to write this down. It's awfully good. A fast is when I deliberately, temporarily refrain from what I normally consume in order to make space for God. A fast is when I deliberately, temporarily refrain from what I normally consume in order to make space for God. A friend of mine used to say, I don't know how dependent I am on it until I cut myself off from it. What can we, what are we called to fast from? The obvious answer we know about this, maybe for some of you it's part of your practice. Um, I've been experimenting this with a lot of my years in walking with Christ, but we can fast from food, of course, and we're called to make that a part of our lives, to fast from food. Here's what fasting isn't. Fasting, according to the Bible, is not a hunger strike. It's not a, a period of life where you deny yourself food in order to get what you want from God. Fasting is also not a diet. There's no uh, look good naked fast in all the Bible. The, the idea of fasting is that we would seek Him and that we would begin to control our appetites. We would begin to make room for God. We would do it temporarily, but we would do it deliberately to show us what we depend on. Gosh, what a lesson we're learning this season. How about you guys? Have you had to do without? Has, has, has life changed for you in this season? Our schedules have. Um, I introduced you guys, bragged on you, but honestly, I hadn't seen you at church in over two months. Um, come on, people. But life, it's, it's different, isn't it? It's, it's different. And so I'm guessing each of you in your, in your own way, I won't put you on the spot, but of course you at home, what's different about life now? And what did you normally depend on that you've been cut off from? Uh, scripture teaches us that we should make that a, a regular, not guilting anybody, but we, we could make this a regular part of our lives to make more room for God. You can fast from food. You can fast from your screens. You can fast from, um, from technology. You can fast from shopping. I've got a friend, him and his wife. He, he, the, the man, friend of mine, uh, the husband is a CPA. He's real tight uh, financially. A lot of tight wide tendencies and one of the battles that he and his wife y'all are not affected this way are you one of the battles that that uh, he and his wife have is she's a free spender and so they were they were talking about getting out of kind of a, the economic doldrums years ago and she uh, went uh, despite their wishes despite a principled approach to their finances at that time she went and she bought a dress and he he got on to her he's like honey i thought that we decided that you wouldn't buy uh, that dress and that you would even say get thee behind me satan and she said i did i said that i said get thee behind me Satan. I did. And he did. And he said, it looks good from back here as well. Um, but uh, look, we can fast from shopping. We can fast from screens. I think you guys uh, being a part of this, um, this video shoot, these guys in production, aren't they talented? They probably told you when you walked in here, uh, greetings and turn off your cell phones. Right. And that's look, all of us have those. And even when you turn off cell phones, you get a buzz. You get a buzz on the phone and the smart people that develop these devices, iPhone, Android, whatever you have, all of them buzz. And the idea there, think about it, is when, you, when, when it buzzes, you think, oh, I may be missing out on something. I mean, I could be in trouble. I need to answer it. I need to stop the conversation I'm currently having, the person whom I've given attention to, and move to something else. And so we need to fast. We need to fast from the things that we're so uh, dependent on. We need to fast from, from food and from screens and from technology. So here's the temptation number one, you are what you have. And the practice is to do without some stuff. 
The second temptation I want to give to you today from Luke 4, we see this in the story of Jesus. Go back and read it in a deeper level. But the second temptation beyond you, you are what you have is you are what you do. So here's the practice. I'll give it to you up front. The temptation, you are what you do. The practice is do less. So doing without is called fasting. Doing less is called Sabbath. Um, Sabbath is regularly, was when you regularly have a time when you're not working, you're not creating value, you're not meeting deadlines, you're not busy being important, you're not trying to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders, you're just alive. You're just alive and you're like a child enjoying God. That's the Sabbath. Again, this morning, not trying to guilt you with a bunch of spiritual disciplines, trying to invite you into a life centered on Jesus, a life where you can slow down, a life where you can let go of hurry. And this is a practice that we need, the practice of Sabbath. Think about the life of Jesus. Jesus went into the wilderness. Jonathan read it to us. He went into the wilderness for 40 days, and what did he do? Nothing. He didn't write a book. He didn't deliver a talk. He didn't train a disciple. He didn't recruit a volunteer. He didn't heal a disease. He did nothing. One writer I admire said this about Jesus' temptation and him doing nothing. He says, he does nothing because nothing is a really important thing to do for people who do a lot for people. One more time. Now, there's three mothers in the room on Mother's Day. Do you guys have an opportunity for rest? You always feel like you have to be doing something. The, the hats that you wear, mother, you have jobs, you have these knuckleheads that you, that you live with, but you're always doing something. But look, Jesus does nothing because nothing is a really important thing to do for people who do a lot for people. Back, I think, in the fall, late fall, kind of moving into the holidays, you know, when we used to have church here in the building, uh, I challenged you guys in a different sermon series to read the book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I was with a group of guys. I got to attend a small group last night with social distancing. And we, they invited me to their last chapter on this book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I got to be in a round table with these young men and to hear how they're incorporating some of these practices, wrestling with them in, in their own lives. John Mark Comer is the pastor of, of a church, Bridgetown Church in Portland, Oregon, the author of this book, Ruthless Elimination of hurry. He's calling his church and all the fun hippie people of Portland to follow in the way of Jesus, to practice the way of Jesus. And look, to, to begin a Sabbath, to incorporate rest into our lives, um, we have to intentionally um, adopt and we have to move. We have to make some progress in that area. There's a great quote from this book where John Mark Comer talks about the practice that he and his family do intentionally to bring in Sabbath. And Jenny, if you would read that for us. Just before sunset on Friday, we finish up our to-do list and homework and grocery shopping and responsibilities. We power down our devices and put them in a box in the closet and we gather around the table as a family. Then we open a bottle of wine, we light some candles, we read a psalm and we pray. Then we feast for 24 hours. After the Sabbath dinner, we bake a giant cookie in a cast iron pan, a, a full square foot of chocolate yumminess. Then we dump a full gallon of ice cream on top. We let it melt a little. Then we eat the whole thing as a family right out of the pan. It's a symbolic nod to our unity as a family and our love of carbs. As we indulge, we share what we are grateful for that week. Then we sleep in on a Saturday morning. We drink coffee, we read our Bibles, we pray some more, we spend time together, we walk to the park or make a fire, we get lost in novels. We cuddle and we nap. About midday on Saturday, something weird happens to me. 
I feel free. And if that sounds overwhelming, that's okay. Hmm. All right. Now that can be a heavy way that can either inspire you this morning or it can, you know, not inspire you. It can make you feel guilty if you will. But here's what I want to encourage y'all to do. You guys, because I know you and love you well, and you guys at home just begin experimenting with Sabbath rest. Ask yourself, if, if you're married and leading a family, ask yourself, what would it look like if we had time of rest where we were just children of God? We weren't, again, busy trying to be important. We weren't doing activities and trying to shoulder the weight of the world uh, on our backs, but we just enjoyed God. What habits and practices could we incorporate it? incorporate in our lives. You probably can't do all of that at once. It might be, it might weird your kids out if you tried that. You're probably not going to get a commitment from them. Just like my kids don't want to plant a garden out back in the coronavirus season. Maybe your family wouldn't want to follow you so readily into a full 24-hour Sabbath like this, but try something. Experiment. And one of the great things I have to tell you that's really delighted my heart with being um, closed down, if you would, on campus for church on Sunday mornings is the fact that this thing's been taken to houses. And for the first time, I'm getting some emails from, from men in particular who are telling me it's one of the first times they've ever prayed with their family. And just to take that hour, and that maybe that's what you could start. You could start with an hour of saying, hey, we're going to be together as a family. We're going to rest as a family. We're going to put up the devices. We're, we're going to celebrate and enjoy the gifts of God. I want to encourage all of us this morning to think about the temptation. You're not what you do. To think about the practice that's associated with that, to help you combat that the temptation that you are not what you do, the practice of Sabbath, the practice of doing less. What I love about the biblical truth is that time and time again, research and studies bear truth to its veracity. People that are really smart study this and say that you'll be more productive if you rest better. In fact, there's a whole growing movement. I don't think we need to adopt this with the staff at Fonderin Church, but there's a whole growing movement. It, a four hour, I'm sorry, four day, not four hour, a four day work week, you're far more productive than you would be otherwise. Now, I don't know if your boss will let you do that, but there's studies that confirm this, working and resting, but just taking a time weekly where you do nothing, but you just, you're just being. Uh, I would love to act like I'm up on a perch and I'm inviting everybody to swim in these Sabbath waters that I practice so perfectly. But it's not true in my life. It's, it's a battle that I have. Sometimes I believe the lie that I am what I do. But I know that recurringly, I need to practice this just doing less and just being. Before Jesus was tempted, the Father spoke over him, this is my son. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. A Sabbath rest allows us to give room for God to speak into our lives. The, the, the third temptation, remember, we're not what we have. We're not what we do. And here's the third temptation. You are what people think of you. Uh, the world tells us, be spectacular. Please people. Get people to approve you. And this, does, do any of you know this? This becomes its own sort of addiction. This becomes its own sort, own form of slavery. Please people, please people. So here's the practice with this temptation. You are what people think of you. The practice is this. Do without human approval. This is the hardest one for me. Y'all know that probably about me. Don't be judging me, okay? Love me. Um, do without human approval. And what I love is we see this in Jesus. Think about the people that He disappointed. 
Now, you ladies are moms. Y'all, y'all are nurturers, you're carers, you're, um, you, you, want, you want to please people. That's probably in your nature. Um, that's a big part of being human. But listen, think about how we need to disappoint people. I know it sounds negative, but listen to this. Jesus disappointed people. I once read that leadership is disappointing people at a rate that they can tolerate. Look at, consider the life of Jesus. Think about the crowd. The crowd said to Jesus, hey, we want you to be a king. We want you to be the Messiah. We want you to crush our enemy. And Jesus said, no, there's a different kingdom. He said no, and he disappointed a lot of people. Think of Herod, what Herod invited Jesus into. And Jesus said, no, he disappointed Herod. The religious establishment looked at Jesus and said, hey, you're hanging out with the wrong kind of people. And Jesus said, no, he disappointed them. Um, his mom and his brother said, Jesus, come back home. You're acting kind of, kind of insane. And he said no, and he disappointed his mom and his brothers. James and John, they were ambitious. They were wanting to be great and spectacular and please a bunch of people. And they said, Hey, can we sit on your left hand? Can one of us sit on your right hand? And Jesus said no, and he disappointed them. Here's a spiritual practice that can help you and I be a lot healthier. We can let go of hurry. We can, um, we can move away from this temptation to think that we are what people think we are, to what they think of us. Be, re- be willing to disappoint people. Be willing to know that someone's not happy with you and that it's okay. Do you know there are times when you can know that someone's not happy with you and you don't have to run and chase them down and try to get them to be happy with you? Now, this is different than solving conflict. We, we need to solve conflict. In fact, Jesus taught us in Matthew 18, when you come to worship, don't even give, don't worship if you have a, a disagreement, if, if a brother sinned against you, go and make that right. But we're talking about something different. We're talking about, do you live to please everybody? Consider the people that Jesus was willing to disappoint. He disappointed mom and brothers, disciples, the crowd, Herod, the religious authorities, but never once did he disappoint his father. His father was pleased with him and delighted in him, and Jesus knew that. And just like Joseph of old, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, just like Nehemiah, Jesus was able to say no and disappoint people because he knew his identity and he knew his mission. And he knew his call to the Father. Do you know that you can be a better leader? You can be a better person. You can say no to the right people at the right time if you know your identity and know your mission and know the calling that God has on your life. You're not what you have. You're not what you do. And you're not what people think of you. There's one more great no. Matt, read that for us in Matthew 27. This is Jesus at the end. And the crowd had another invitation for him. He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross. We will believe in him. Jesus in his death gave us one more no. And in that no, he said yes to the human race. So as we kind of come to home today, as we think about this, this morning, the big challenge, the title of the sermon is Let Go of Hurry. But to be able to let go of her, you and I need the practice of this huge word, no. To say no when we're tempted. To say no to the things that we need to say no to. You're not what you have. You're not what you do. And you're not what other people think of you. Let me ask you those three temptations, which one do you struggle with the most? You guys think about it. Right here in the room. Think about it at home. Look, I've... I've grappled with this one a lot this week. Of these temptations, which one do you struggle with the most?
And of these practices, I bet these, they, they're going to correspond, but of these three practices, um, doing without, doing with less, being willing to uh, disappoint people, which practice do you need most in your life? The great invitation that Jesus gave to his followers at a real critical time in ministry is he invited them to come to him. He invited them to come to them, him to experience rest. And so this morning, I want to lead us in prayer. We'll respond, we'll close in worship today. But I want to ask you, is life too fast? Are you trying to please too many people? Are you trying to believe that you can have it all? Are you believing the lie that every appetite, every want you have ought to be satisfied? Are you believing by default that the universe is a machine, that you're a bundle of appetites and you should just go for it? As long as you're not hurting anybody, you should just go for it. And God, the Father, gives us a great yes in Jesus. But in Jesus we see a Savior who can say no, who said no, so that He could be the great yes for the world. So would you pray with me? Lord, for people that are moving too fast, for people that are hyper-efficient, that probably get a lot of praise from others, that are really busy and important, but for people that are depleted and drained, dehydrated in a sense, Lord, would you minister to us? I can't help but think of what you're doing with your church, Fondren Church, the church, the global church. We're in the wilderness in so many ways. People are dying and there's economic uncertainty and job loss. People that have even been furloughed are wondering if and when they can come back. And like the people, your people in Egypt, in the midst of reckless greed in the midst of people that just didn't stop working and that were never satisfied. God, we can live differently. Would you refine us in the wilderness? Lord, would you forgive us for saying yes to things that it's not about you, it's about us. Lord, thank you that we have practices that we can practice in the way of Jesus, that we can follow a teacher and a savior who taught us to rest and shows us how, who taught us to fast and control our appetites and to remind us that it's not about the stuff we have. And ultimately, we have a father who delights in us. And God, if someone today is crushed under the weight of disappointing people, a father that they or mother they can never please, a boss that's angry with them, just whatever it might be. This, Lord, I pray that your gospel would get through to people today, that, Lord, you love us and you're pleased with us. And we can walk with you. And this good news frees us to follow a God who fully is committed to loving us in wilderness times, in times of abundance. So, Lord, for these temptations, help us to fight them. For these practices, help us to live them out less rest the freedom and being able to say no to people in christ we pray amen